Today is Wednesday, February 16th, and this is People Every Day. Hi, it's me, Janine Rubenstein. We have a special and heartbreaking episode for you today. Our big cover story this week is an exclusive interview with supermodel Linda Evangelista. She sits down with People Deputy West Coast Editor Jason Sheeler to speak for the first time, breaking her silence about her harrowing experience with a cosmetic procedure called cool sculpting that left Linda diagnosed with a rare side effect that occurs in less than 1% of cases called PAH. So now I'm going to hand the mic over to Jason, who conducted the interview. Take it away, Jason. What do you think of when you hear the name Linda Evangelista? Is it the cover of Vogue or Harper's Bazaar? Is it her walking down a runway in the 90s? Is it the George Michael Freedom video? Singing along with the other supermodels, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, and Christy Turlington. Is it her Marie Antoinette quote, perhaps the most famous fashion quote ever, which has been referenced in movies like Mr. and Mrs. Smith and South Park, We don't wake up for less than $10,000 a day. Or is it the news that broke back in September when she announced on Instagram, and it should be noted, in the U.S. court for the Southern District of New York that, in her words, she had been brutally disfigured by cool sculpting, the FDA-approved fat-freezing procedure. Her lawsuit seeks compensatory damages of $50 million for her distress and loss of work, promotions, and public appearances. Cool Sculpting is denying liability and says she had been warned of the risks. For me, when I hear the name Linda Evangelista, I think of her feet, literally, because that's where I first met her, kneeling before Linda, buckling the straps of her slingbacks. I was an intern for Marc Jacobs in 1997 while in college, and I spent many fashion shows and fittings genuflecting on the floor, sliding the feet of these goddesses into their shoes. At the time, for me anyway, there were no bigger stars than supermodels. Throughout the 90s, they dominated fashion shows and gossip columns. They dated movie stars and were on our televisions, selling lipstick and Pepsi. And onto them, we projected our dreams and insecurities. And of all of them, Linda was the goat, the Michael Jordan. No model was more super than Linda, Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour recently told me. And perhaps Linda was the best because she wanted it the most. While her contemporaries were discovered, Cindy while picking corn, Christy on a horse, Kate Moss simply walked through an airport, Linda actually tried. She saved her money and enrolled in modeling school. She's now 56. And when I first sat down via Zoom with Linda back in December for People's Cover Story on newsstands this week, I definitely didn't recognize her spirit. She's gone, Linda told me. And she was talking about herself. Linda Evangelista, the supermodel. And in the end, that might be what her story is about for all of us. Who are you when you no longer look like yourself? We're going to start with just why you've decided to speak now. Okay. Well, there's a few reasons. Um, So after being diagnosed, let me start with before being diagnosed. Initially, I kept everything to myself because I wasn't even sure what was going on or what the problem was. And I, I tried to fix it myself, uh, thinking I was doing something wrong. So I exercised more, I dieted more. And there was quite a long period where I didn't eat anything because I thought it was my fault. And um, then I was diagnosed. And um, From there, I went on to have the two liposuction surgeries um, as 
the intervention. They said that was the only way to um, fix the issues. And um, also, because of my son, uh, I took his feelings into consideration, and I had never told him what was going on. And I finally told him when he was 13, 14, turning 14. So um, those, that's why I'm coming out now. Uh, he's very supportive of me. I told him he might be hearing some things, and he said he, did, he didn't care that he's there for me, um, which... I think is so wrong. I should not be a burden to my child. He shouldn't have to be supporting me. That's mm -hmm. not his job. But um, after the surgeries, now I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, 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 I think this is maybe permanent. So mm -hmm. I was willing to finally speak about this and come out with it um, because I just couldn't live in this pain any longer. So you made your Instagram post right as you were about to post, as you were about to, you know, press the button to post, what was going through your mind? Because like you had told me, like you had really not told anyone about this until you posted it to Instagram. I was terrified, but I knew I had to do that in order to start like a healing process or be able to move forward. I never even wanted Instagram. I remember years ago uh, getting an intervention from my agent and from the bookers and from the younger kids saying that I needed to do it. And I, un I, I understood it, how one needed a presence on social media. And then <laughs> during this last five years, I watched what exactly that meant for business and mm -hmm. how it changed everybody's business. And um, I watched how my colleagues flourished and grew on there and collected followers. And um, I never thought that I was going to ever use it to post what I had to post. Mm. So it's fair to say, and this is, I guess I get to say this, that you are, you know, one of the greatest models of all time, if, if not the greatest, you know, th this is, you know, cer certainly, you know, <laughs> our, our, our Michael Jordan, someone once said of you, and they, they believe that was the founder of Kanar said that, but um, you know, why do you, why did you want to be a model? I loved fashion. I loved fashion so much. And I remember in grade, I want to say grade eight in junior high, I remember saying to my mom, we need to have a serious talk. And I remember crying and I remember telling her, I need more fashion. Like, I need more. I was wearing my aunt's maternity tops. I was doing like whatever I could just to have more clothes. And she said, okay, I get it. And every once in a while, she bought me an outfit. Mm. I started working when I was 12 years old on the farm. I worked in a store that uh, a chain equivalent to like a 7-Eleven. I worked in a jewelry store all through high school. I worked, um, I worked in, on Clifton Hill in Niagara Falls. I always had more than two jobs, two minimum, so that mm -hmm. I could buy fashion. 
I went to a Catholic high school and we had to wear a uniform of color coded uniform. So the blouse or turtleneck had to have a collar and it had to be white or navy and the bottom had to be gray. And I would do things like dip very quickly my blouse in, in like to a water, hot water with a red sock so it could give it a little pink tint. <laughs> I would just like cheat and I would wear like a leather headband and I would wear like cowboy boots with the white cowboy boots with a fringe with my skirt. <laughs> I would do ridiculous things just trying to express myself. Oh my gosh, all, all, all up in Niagara. Well, you uh-huh. subsequently covers more than 700 covers, 11 times on the cover of American Vogue alone, by my count. Um, you were amused to some of the most important designers of the 20th century, you know, Karl Lagerfeld and, and Johnny Versace. And I found, by the way, you were in our very first 50 Most Beautiful People issue, by the way, in 1990. I was. Wow. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And somebody came to my um, apartment that I rented and took a picture, a personal picture of me. And that was like, I think that was the first time someone took a personal photograph of me. For that issue? For that issue. Oh my gosh. That is really interesting. What I, all I could find in, in our archive, because the, the images weren't loaded up on the archive, but you did talk just about... you. Know, Cut your hair short, I think, and you've seen it everywhere. You're kind of sick of seeing your hair everywhere. You know what? I, I I would like to take back those words. Oh, okay. I mean, when, no, but I I said that, and I I would like to rephrase those words. I was honored to see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Is what I should have said instead of I don't like how I um, articulated that, and I, a few and a few other things I said when I was younger. Um, what was one moment in that first part of your career? Did you ever, was a moment that you stopped and said, I'm at the top of my game? Like here I've arrived. Is there a moment? Well, I got a job. I went to a casting for Jean-Louis David, who is like one of the hair gods. And um, he chose me and he photographed me. Um, He cut my hair and we did it on 57th Street near Fifth Avenue. And I was in a national ad. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the highlight and the cherry on top was I got paid to do it. Mm. I couldn't believe my good fortune. It it gave me validation. Mm. Yeah. And of course for, for many people it was it was you and, and the freedom video. Really? Yeah. And I get that except it I'm not gonna say it didn't mean anything to me being in that video. I, I really only understood afterwards the importance mm. of it. But initially, I didn't want to do it because it wasn't fashion. Um, and George George wore me down till I... Really? Yeah, I only said yes the, the week it happened. And um, I, I, I believe it came together quite quickly, but I didn't get a um, Discman 
with the song on it to practice and rehearse because I said yes and I went. So I went into that without any rehearsing. Whereas really? the other girls got, a, the other women uh, got a disc man with the disc and the lyrics. And you did not. I did not. Oh, we'll have to get you a disc man. No, that's okay. I, 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 I faked my way through it. The rest, the hair colors all were spontaneous. And at that point, I just, I didn't care. Mm. The George Michael video, we did it in my kitchen until like four, I don't know, in the middle of the night, four in the morning. And I took the plane that morning very early straight to the George Michael uh, Freedom set. And everyone... You dyed your hair blonde in your kitchen? Yeah. Everybody was surprised when I showed up like that. But for me, my, my real moment that I think when I made it was when I appeared on a Vogue cover. It didn't matter to me which one it was, but that's, that was my dream, to be on a Vogue cover. So uh, iconic face, you, you are famous for something you said, perhaps the most famous fashion quote ever. Just like, you know, bear with me because you I know it makes you cringe, but we don't wake up for less than $10,000 a day. You told Jonathan Van Meter that in the 1990s story, which I just reread, by the way. And I know that you were joking. And I know you're tired of talking about it. And you even said those words are going to be engraved on my tombstone. But I have a thought that in saying those words that you were way ahead of your time, because today the conversation is all about money parity, pay me what I'm worth, salary equity. And I think that if you said that today, you know, like, you know, Brie Larson and Scarlett Johansson would be high-fiving you, right? Times have changed. It, it was, at the time, it was inappropriate. It didn't, it didn't um, translate how I wanted it to. I've apologized for it. That was, I, was that 30 years ago? More? Yeah. 31, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not that person any yeah. longer. But yes, I mean, people flaunt what they make today mm-hmm. and it's acceptable and it's just it's different times but i sure caught a lot of slack for that and was almost never forgiven for it you think not forgiven well maybe that's not what i wanted to be remembered for and it mm-hmm. seemed like that was the thing that stuck out in most people's heads and that is absolutely not what i wanted to be remembered for fashion has perhaps changed. I mean, there's like, you know, there's size inclusivity and and we won't get into whether or not that's all real or not, especially at the highest levels of fashion, but there weren't standards. And so early in your career, you had no trouble meeting the standard because that was just pretty natural. I, I, please don't take this the wrong way. I was the standard. You know, I was five, five, nine, and I was sample size. There were times I couldn't do fittings for fashion shows in Milano or Paris or because I didn't have the time in my schedule. So I showed up for the show and put the outfit on and it fit and it worked and I walked Uh, many, many, many times. So I was sample size Mm -hmm. at the time. And, uh, you know, eventually things started to change. Like Kate showed up and she wasn't 5'9". But she was extraordinary, you know. But definitely an anomaly. I mean, she was like a rare... At the time, an anomaly. At the time, yes. 
And, you know, when I first started modeling, I was told by the agents, by the agency, it was just a known fact that a good career lasted three years. So I thought I was in it for three years. So I was going to make the best of it. And then after five years, I was like, okay, I still got some steam here. And then 10, then 15. And then I, you know, I was quoted as saying, I will walk. I don't know exactly the quote, but I said I would walk down the runway with a cane if I had to. Mm -hmm. Meaning I never wanted to retire. And that I believe I was instrumental along with many, many other models, but I was one of them that helped break down that age barrier. I heard from several, for lack of a better term, fashion people for this story. Anna Wintour, Cindy Crawford, Chrissy Turlington Burns, who all shared wonderful anecdotes about Linda. Cindy remembers Linda driving all the models around Paris in her red car she'd named Petunia. And Christy recalled Linda stopping a Chanel advertising shoot in Monaco at Easter so they could go to church. They both were raised Catholic. And I actually spoke to Andre Leon Talley, the longtime Vogue editor, who died the week after our interview on January 18th at the age of 73. Andre, an author of the memoir Chiffon Trenches, an editor, fashion historian, and subject of the great documentary The Gospel According to Andre, remembers Linda's fierce ambition, professionalism, and a presence he termed royal. I want to play parts of our interview for you now. Well, Linda is in the pantheon at the top echelon. I would say she's up there with the greatest legendary, iconic models, Dovima of the Abaddon era, any model that came before her, she surpassed them in um, her legendary career because there was something unique about Linda. She could become like a chameleon. She could transfer herself into the personality that that particular individual designer or couturier wanted for that season. I think that she was an extraordinary, extraordinary presence in all in all her career. I mean, she was almost like royalty. Linda was like royalty. You know the name Linda Vandalista? But well, you know the name Cindy Crawford or Kate Moss or mm-hmm. Naomi Campbell or Christy Charlington, you know? In 1998, Linda retired. She had fallen in love. She moved to the south of France, became pregnant, and then suffered a miscarriage. She returned to modeling in 2001, to great acclaim, I might add. She was 36 at the time and actually booked the cover of September Vogue that year. I think every time I did a job, I mean, age isn't held against you anymore. It's not, it's celebrated. It's beautiful. I'm just going to ask, like, have you done things to maintain your look? Have you had help in any way? If I can ask. (laughs) So in 2006, and the only reason why I know the year is because I appeared on the cover of Vogue and I was pregnant at the time with Augie. And I believe in that article is when I said that I did Botox. And maybe I said Thermage. And I mean, my mother was not happy. (laughs) I think, and we can try and figure this out. I think I am the first to say it out loud. I said I did Botox. And it was a big big deal. And my mother asked me, why would you say 
say that? And I said, well, I just think it's fair to say it. I, I, I don't think it's fair to lie. Mm. It was a tool. It was a tool, you know, and I got facials and I worked out with a trainer and I don't know what other tools I use. There's microcurrent, there's, you know, yeah, it's a tool. In 2015, Linda decided to add a new tool to her toolbox. Up until this point, her life had been nothing short of extraordinary. And yet her goal seven years ago was excruciatingly ordinary. She simply had weight she couldn't lose. She was still modeling that year she had started in a Moschino fragrance ad, in fact. She was also at that point a single mom. Her son, Augie, was born in 2006. His father is Francois-Henri Pinot. But at this point, Linda was 50, and she had what she calls stubborn fat. All right, we're going to pivot to cool sculpting. If we can set the stage for, you know, where you were in life at the time and what led you there for the first time to have the procedure done the first time. Um, okay. I just before I spoke to you, I I wrote something. Oh, sure. Can I, can I go ahead? You, and, you absolutely okay. can, for sure. Absolutely. I have always said I supported plastic surgery. Um, I and if it, if it was important to oneself, and I have said I didn't know if I was going to do a facelift, and I wouldn't know until that time came if it would be important to me. I've said this in interviews before. And as years went on, we were given more tools to enhance ourselves and make ourselves, you know, feel better. Cool sculpting was one of those tools that spoke to me. I was bombarded with the TV commercials and the ads in the magazines. And it, it, it spoke to me. I was their customer. I understood from the advertising that it wasn't for obesity or from being overweight, but it was for like stubborn fat areas. I've always, like I said, led a healthy lifestyle and uh, worked out, but I had stubborn fat. I noticed my body change over the years and my body didn't look like it did when I was 22 any longer. So cool sculpting appeared, appealed to me because it, it wasn't radical. It was like a spot treatment. It was going to contour areas of the body that as I age, you know, I have some fat deposits and I understood, understood cool sculpting would take care of that. That's what the advertisement said. And it was supposed to be non-invasive, um, not painful, uh, no surgery, no downtime. And that expression, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, mm. sort of came to fruition on me there. Mm. Um, I thought when, when I first started 
cool sculpting. I thought it would be advantageous for me personally and professionally. Did I want to like what I saw in the mirror, you know, to, or I was offered this tool to fine tune it and I drank the magic potion. Okay, let's talk about cool sculpting for a minute. Linda underwent seven sessions of cool sculpting in a dermatologist's office over 2015 and 2016. Treatments cost between $2,000 and $4,000 per area per session. The machine was FDA approved in 2010 and uses a process which was discovered by studying the way frostbite affects humans, actually. The procedure works by placing a roll of fat between two paddles, which cools the fat to a freezing temperature. Studies show that the treatment, which is popular due to its accessibility at medical spas and minimal recovery time, can reduce targeted fat deposits up to 20%. But it can also have serious side effects, which the company says are disclosed in its advertising and materials for doctors and patients. I spoke to two doctors about this. One was provided to me by Cool Sculpting. Her name is Dr. Sue Ellen Cox. She's a dermatologist in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She told me that she considers it a safe, effective treatment that's worthwhile and has a high patient satisfaction rate. She has conducted clinical trials on behalf of Cool Sculpting and has successfully performed the procedure on thousands of her own patients, she says. She told me if you can pinch an inch of fat, you'll be a good candidate for Cool Sculpting. It's the gold standard of non-invasive fat reduction procedures. But, it should be noted, there can be serious and long-lasting side effects, ranging from dents in the skin to a rare condition called paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. This is PAH, where the freezing process causes the affected fatty tissue to thicken and expand. That's the upsetting part, says Dr. Alan Matarasso, a New York City plastic surgeon and professor at Hofstra University. He's never treated Linda. He told me that patients go in to have something reduced, and then now it's enlarged. And the problem with PAH is that in some instances, it may not go away. And then in many circumstances, the affected areas are no longer amenable to liposuction as they would have been in the first place. I sent many questions to representatives for Cool Sculpting. In a statement provided to People Magazine, a representative for Cool Sculpting and parent company Zeltique said Cool Sculpting, quote, has been well studied with more than 100 scientific publications in more than 11 million treatments performed worldwide. It added that rare side effects like PAH continue to be well-documented in the cool sculpting information for patients and healthcare providers. But here's the thing. For Linda, when the PAH showed up on her body, the very thing she wanted to lose would gain control of her life. Um, how soon after being treated did the... P-A-H, begin. Okay. Um, on some areas, on areas, I, I, I'm not being precise and I'm so sorry. Um, I did more than one treatment. I did multiple treatments. And when, um, I don't have, I don't know in my head exactly, it may have been February, January or February, and it was in May that I noticed these changes happening. And um, maybe, no, sorry, it was earlier than May. I, I don't have my timing on this. Yeah. Um, I went to 
um, one of my dermatologists here in New York in June. I don't have the date, but I remember it was June. And he's the one who diagnosed me. Mm. I dropped my robe for him and I was bawling. And I said, I haven't eaten. I'm starving. What am I doing wrong? And he said, oh, no, I, I know what this is. And I said, what? And he said, it's paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. And I was like, what the hell is that? And he said, it's PAH. And he explained it to me. And he said, um, no amount of dieting and no amount of exercise was ever going to fix it. And I hadn't done anything wrong, that it was a, an adverse effect and that he would call the company and speak to them. And he did. And they said they wanted to make it right. And he told me, you know, I would, the, I would have to have liposuction to remove it. And they chose the surgeon who specialized, who they had used before. They went between one in Los Angeles and one in New York and um, they chose the, him for me because he had done this work for them previously. So um, I had to do it. I brought my son and my dog to Canada and I asked my family to please watch over them. And I came back to New York and um, I did the surgery. Mm. And um, the surgery was very invasive and it required a lot of downtime. In fact, when I first did the surgery, the surgeon told me I would have to wear the compression garments and girdles and chin strap and full body girdle um, to cover my inner thighs. Um, so it's not a full body girdle. It's missing part of the leg. And it was missing the arms. Um, he said, I'd have to wear it for a few days. And I thought that was great. But when I went to get my stitches out of all the incisions all over my body, again, not non-invasive, he said, oh, by the way, you need to wear these compression garments, girdles, chin strap for eight weeks. The company called me and told me. Um, otherwise, it may come back. And then also, on what areas of your body did you receive cool sculpting? Um, chin. We call it bra flab. Um, I did tummy, love handles, inner thighs. It it doesn't really, I, I just want to say this, it doesn't matter how many times because I had the chin applicator only once and I suffered paradoxical oh. adipose hyperplasia. Yeah. 
So it doesn't matter if I did it once or if I did it twice on that area. It doesn't matter. It can happen yeah. after one episode. And basically what you went in to have fixed or corrected. Intervention. Intervention. Okay. Actually only was made worse. It, it came back. It came back. It was never completely rectified and it came back. And I even, I I don't know if we lay out the pictures, I wasn't a little bit better. I wasn't even a little bit better. Mm. The PAH was still there. So you used the word deformed. Can you describe to me in, in in your own words, um, your level of of deformity. Okay, so it's not it's not like weight gain. It's like adding bulges to your body, and the bulges are hard. They are protrusions and they're hard. And if I walk without a girdle in a dress, I will have chafing. I can't stand. My posture has changed because I cannot put my arms flat along my side. And now Linda, with her attorney's approval, stands up and shows me parts of her body affected by PAH. Well, I don't know if you can see, but... So, do you see the angle of my arms? hmm Okay, I can't put them next to my body because this bulge is making them veer off in an angle. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pushing against my body right now. So this chafes, I can't even like try, there's certain workouts like I can't do because this thing is there. You saw it in the picture, right? Would you, would, am I exaggerating if I call that a deformity? I, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not for me to say, but I, I hear, I hear what you're saying though. Yes. And I, and I, I, I noticed, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an objective, you know, I've, I've got, you know, I can see, see things. And so I see. I, I, that I don't think designers will, Versace won't want to dress me with that sticking out of my body. Um, have they told you that? No. Well, she hasn't told anybody about this, so yeah, um, that's, that explains that. So, by the way, that was Linda's attorney, Daniel Markham. I was losing my mind because I didn't understand what I was seeing. I blamed myself because when one gains weight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's usually we know the formula and, and why. So I, I, I didn't understand it. And 
I, I was confused. And then I was also in denial. And I kept, there were days where I would be like, don't look, don't look. I was in denial thinking it would go away. Like, I don't know. I, I, I've, I, I wasn't rational because I, I was so confused. I was so confused. And I just kept thinking I was doing something wrong. So I just, I ate less and less. It got to the point where I wasn't eating at all. Mm. Thinking it was me that was doing something wrong. I, I had no idea that this condition existed. Mm. And so two rounds of corrective surgeries or attempts at corrective surgeries? Correct. Yeah. And a third was offered and you're like, I, I don't want to do it again. No, I, I, there's nobody has said no. no nobody, has, nobody has told me they could make this go away. No one has said. Yeah. Have others in your professional realm, you know, noticed or remarked to you or even your agent on being disfigured? Has, has anyone, you know, I know you've just kind of revealed some of this, but has it, has anyone said anything to you about it? Has anyone noticed? Has anyone said, this is why we can't we can't hire you at the moment. No, nobody saw me. I've been locked up. Yeah. In shame and fear. Yeah. And if I did get out the door for my child to see him play a game of soccer or to walk my dog, um, you would have had more of a chance of catching me outside in the colder days because I can cover up. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really go out in the summertime at all for fear of being seen. So I, I, I just, I, I kept it to myself. I was so embarrassed. And I um, went into, and I still feel, uh, depressed and um i think with time in sharing this story i i, I hope it helps me with those feelings because I, I can't i can't live like this anymore in hiding and shame and, and about that hiding linda i mean it, you know you've used the words you, you've become a, a recluse what has that been like you know, you're you're someone who was very visible are you, in fact, agoraphobic? Uh, from what I understand the um, meaning of agoraphobia to be, I, I will self-diagnose as being agoraphobic. I'm, I can force myself out the door, like I said, for my child. Um, Less so now that I've lost my dog. Mm. Um, I'm less afraid in front of my son's friends and in front of, you know, some of the moms that um, I don't think they're judging me. We're, we're like on the sidelines together with one thing in common, and that's our child. It's not our job our work, what we do. Mm -hmm. um, 
I will not go out the door for myself. No way. And even since my Instagram post, I have a hard time going out. Mm-hmm. I only went, I only go to the hospital to visit my friend, my best friend. I just have this fear of being seen. Something I, I loved, you know, I loved being up on the catwalk. And now I like could just dread bumping into somebody I know from the industry. Mm. And the paparazzi. Oh, well, when I didn't do the Versace show, the question was in the media, where was Linda? And they came for me. She's talking about a Versace fashion show in Milan in 2017. That season, it was a runway flashback to the 90s. Cindy Crawford, Claudia Schiffer, Helena Christensen, and Naomi Campbell came striding down the Versace runway. The show was a celebration, an acknowledgement really of the 20 years since Gianni's death, and all the OG soups were appropriately goddessy and gold chainmail. The audience in Milan leapt to their feet with applause. Then the audience on Instagram leapt into the comments. Where's Linda, they wanted to know. It didn't take long for the paparazzi to find her. Tabloid headlines would soon blare, Linda Evangelista is unrecognizable as she jets out of New York. That's when they came for me. And from that day forward is when I broke down and said, I can't go out there. I can't. Because they said really horrible things, but... They said I was unrecognizable, and I didn't disagree with them. I don't recognize myself physically, but I don't recognize me as a person any longer. I'm not the same person. She's she's sort of gone. Like, my spirit has been broken. And if it weren't for my child, that shining brightness that I do have in my life, I really, I don't know where I would be right now. He's the only thing that keeps me going. What was it like not being at that Versace show? Whoa. Um, my heart cried. I wasn't, I wasn't jealous at all. I was so happy for Versace and the glory of it. And I thought they all look so beautiful. I just, I was profoundly sad not to be a part of it. And I couldn't even explain why I couldn't be a part of it at the time. Because they, they asked you. I, I, I believe so. Yeah. 
I can't even, um, I don't know where there's like blurred lines of when they stopped asking everybody, stopped stopped asking at a certain point, you know, I don't know. I was out of sight, out of mind. Mm. People came to their own conclusions. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what people were thinking. Yeah. Because what's, you know, what's in parallel to your, your story is, and as you even said in your Instagram post, something has happened over the past few years of, and it's Instagram-fueled nostalgia. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the, the past makes us comfortable sometimes because we, we know what it was. But there's been a resurgence of the soups, you know, soup model love. And, you know, or, I mean, let's, they've all, they've been working a lot, right? Oh, they're all flourishing. All of them. Even ones that weren't working anymore are working right um everybody is working everybody who wants to be working from my category or my era or my colleagues they're all working and something else that makes me incredibly sad is um i'm so proud of these women and they're all using their voices for incredible causes and they're doing such great things with you know the momentum they have and the followers they have and i i i'm i feel useless i can't i'm not i can't even do the philanthropic work that i used to do that i love to do that's a killer for me. Yeah. So there's some of your colleagues for sure, you know, comment on your Instagram. I mean, like, and so you've read their comments. Have you, have you spoken directly to any of your, your peers or have you heard directly from them? I'm not brave enough to take phone calls. Um, I, I do speak to um Naomi and other people in my business that I a few of them I felt comfortable enough to Naomi's like she always knew something was wrong and she knows you know she's always been there for me for other things she's just just always there always there super super supportive but I, 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 I'm not a doctor, but I, I know that there's not a button that you can just flick and say, okay, snap out of your depression. Nobody can make that happen for me. Mm-hmm. I know I have uh, work to do. And I know that um, I'm hoping that this is coming out with my story, I, I hope it offers me some relief. But of, of course, all my colleagues, all my friends, of course, there was love and support. And, it, and I felt it. I felt all the love and support. Also, by coming, that Instagram post connected the dots for so many people because they didn't know why I wasn't around anymore. You know, with respect to the negative comments, 
All I can say is that those comments do not address what my injuries are and what PAH is. Mm -hmm. I did cool sculpting from personal reasons and for my career. And I wanted to be in the best shape for my modeling career. So none of these comments address the points, these points, and they're misguided. Mm-hmm. You know, on the comments that say I'm just going through menopause, I um, would like to say I actually, uh, I welcome menopause. Mm. As I welcome anything that comes with the aging process for Mm -hmm. the record i really want to age i pray to god that i age i want to be here to see my son grow into a man and then if he chooses to have a family one day i i want to be here I want to be here. And I know that there are things the body goes through when one changes. So I actually welcome the aging process. I welcome it. Mm. What would you say, Linda, that you've learned from all of this? You know, because something I was struck with earlier that you talked about that you didn't recognize yourself. And that made me think about, you know, like when you are the greatest supermodel of all time, what does it mean when you think that you don't look like that anymore? Uh, I'm talking about inside. I don't mm-hmm. look like, I don't feel that person anymore. I'm not extroverted any longer. Mm. I believe I used to be very extroverted. Um, yeah, physically, I don't look like her. And in these years that I've, you know, locked myself up inside my home, I I feel like, yeah, I've lost parts of me. I'm, I don't even do the things that I love to do. You know, I don't. I don't tap dance. I don't play the accordion. I don't even like to cook anymore. And that was like one of my favorite things to do. Mm. I don't know. Those, those protrusions hanging off of my body that just, I can't get past them. I don't know how to dress. I mean, I'm, I don't even know what I measure across my bus area because of those things hanging off the side of my body, which are numb, by the way. My inner thighs are numb. I don't know if I'll ever get the sensation back. And um, the under my arms and back is numb. And it's been years, so I'm going to assume it's not coming back. I'm struck a couple of times this interview, you've referred to yourself in the third person as her. I don't look like her. I don't. This doesn't feel like me. 
It doesn't look like me and it doesn't feel like me. My son used to say before I told him the truth, he used to make comments frequently like, Mommy, do you remember when you used to be fun? Mommy, remember when you used to laugh all the time? How come you don't laugh anymore? So I hate what this has done to my relationship with him. He saw the, the, the switch. I heard him once tell a driver in a taxi or whatever, oh, you're missing a tooth. And he was very, very young. And one time he told someone that they didn't have legs in a wheelchair. And I told him, they, they know you never need to tell somebody what they look like. And the only thing you have to say to anybody is you're beautiful. That's the bottom line. And with me, he, he knows I, I don't look in the mirror. And he, he has said to me a few times, Mommy, I, I know I'm not supposed to tell you what you look like, but can I tell you you have a pimple on your face, like a whitehead? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Because um, I don't look in the mirror. I don't know. But it, it is very important for me to raise him knowing that he is beautiful and that everybody is beautiful. And it is so messed up that I truly believe that, except it doesn't pertain to me. It's so fucked up. I can't see any beauty in me at all. Is it hard for you when people say things like, Linda, you're still beautiful? Nobody says anything to me anymore because they don't see me. Mm. I'll take still beautiful, but nobody, I don't see anybody. So I think that's awful to say still beautiful. It is because it's, it's like a, it's like a, some kind of backwards compliment, right? It is. It is. I think my mom looks more beautiful now than she ever has. I don't know. When I see her with my son, you know, and I Mm. see their interaction, I look at her and I think, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And I don't don't think about age. Mm. I don't know. People are so obsessed with the age thing. Um, I'm fine with the age thing. I always said I was fine with the age thing. I just wanted to look good while aging what what is a positive resolution here what is a solution i i i just oh such a hard one for me um i think just now having the courage to tell my story um i hope I can help other people that are in the same situation as me just by telling mine that they're not alone. 
And I hope I just can shed myself of some of this shame and learn to love myself again. That's my goal. And we'll leave it there. I want to thank Linda Evangelista for sharing her story with us this week in People Magazine. The story is on newsstands now. And thank you all for listening.